All right, everybody ready? All right, we'll return to Law and Gospel. Anybody remember which uh, thesis we stopped with? I don't know. I'm asking everybody to see what everybody knows. Does everybody remember? We're on four. Okay, good. Someone remembers. Okay, we started four. All right. So uh, I'm not going to. I'll just review. I'll just quickly read each thesis, and we won't review them, but just we'll go through them really quick. Number one, the doctrinal contents of the entire Bible. I'm just going to be paraphrasing. Both of the Old and New Testament are made up of two doctrines, and what's the key to know about these two doctrines? They differ fundamentally from each other. Please remember that they differ fundamentally from each other, and these two doctrines are called law and gospel. All right, so that's the main thing to remember from from the first one. The second thesis is only he is an orthodox teacher who not only presents all the articles of faith in accordance with the scripture, but also rightly distinguishes law and gospel. So to be an orthodox teacher, you got to do all the articles of the faith according to the scriptures, but you have to distinguish between law and gospel or, well, everything goes wrong. Thesis number three was... Rightly distinguishing law and gospel is what? The most difficult and highest art for the Christian. And the main thing that we want to really drive home with number three was it's learned where? School of experience. And why did I stress that so very, 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 very much? Does anybody remember why I stressed that so very much? One, to distinguish it and to argue against what the book says, because the book says we learn it by what? The Holy Spirit, and we know my major issues with that, because if that's the case, then all Christians would all agree on the proper distinction between law and gospel because we all have the Holy Spirit. Clearly, that's not the way it works. So that's number one. I wanted to distinguish it from that. And what was the second reason I wanted to very much make sure we understand that it's learned through the law or through the uh, law of experience, practice of experience, life, why, why, or school of experience? That's the word I'm looking for. Why did I stress that? Because so many times when we, uh, this is very important, a true understanding sometimes of doctrine or theology is not truly understood until it enters into the school of experience because that's when it really begins to take shape. For example, you can sit in a church on a Sunday morning in a charismatic church and be told that God guarantees healing. That sounds wonderful. That sounds great, right? What happens when you take that to the school of experience? Begins to fall apart. You can tell everyone that because we have the Holy Spirit as Christians, we now have the power to say no to sin and yes to God. That sounds great sitting in a pew on a Sunday, right? What happens when you take that into the school of experience? Well, if all Christians have the power to say no to sin and yes to God, well, then what should we see within Christianity? Probably sinless perfection, right? Okay, we don't see that. So then the theory begins to what? fall apart. Well, when it comes to properly distinguishing between law and gospel, it's a wonderful theory, but once you enter into the school of experience, not only do you see maybe sometimes the difficulty of applying it and knowing when to apply it, it begins to become far more real than a theory about, oh, wait, that passage is law. Wait, that passage is gospel. Look at me. I'm so smart. 
it, begin, it, it only is when we enter into life is when it begins to take, take shape and begins to mean anything, all right? And then thesis number four. Thesis number four. Okay, the Bible remains a sealed book until we understand what? Law and gospel. We have to understand it. Okay, we made it pretty far into this one. I'm just going to read a little bit from the book, and then I'll stop at different times and, and see. And if, if, we, if, if you don't remember something or you need clarification on something, please let me know, all right? While still ignorant of the distinction between the law and the gospel, a person receives the impression that a great number of contradictions are contained in the scriptures, right? It's very important if you, according to them, and I think there's some truth to this, if we do not have a proper understanding of law and gospel, not only will you get the impression, I think you will conclude, I know Christians were not supposed to conclude this, that the Bible hopelessly contradicts itself and it's impossible to figure it out. Most Christians won't say that, but I think deep down we know there's, there seems to be a problem because the Bible seems to say one thing in one place and another thing in another place, especially as it pertains to salvation. Correct? In fact, the entire scripture seems to be made up of contradictions is, would be the conclusion of possible thinking you could come to. Now, the scriptures in one place pronounces one blessed, but then now they condemn him. When the, rich, uh, when the rich youth asked the Lord, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? The Lord replied, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. But when the jailer at Philippi addressed the same identical question to Paul and Silas, he received a completely different answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Well, wait a minute. How can we have two different answers in the same book? Why? Why is Jesus contradicting Paul and Silas? Why Paul and Silas contradicting Jesus? How do we understand this? Now, Christians have tried to come up with solutions, and most of the times it gets well. It gets even well. Sometimes their solutions aren't very good. Um, on the one hand, uh, we read the righteous shall live by faith. On the other hand, we note that John in his first epistle says, "He who does right is righteous." So, what is it? How, how do we become righteous? Are we righteous because of faith, or are we righteous by what we do? How can the Bible claim both situations? How, how, how do we understand that? Over and against uh, this, the Apostle Paul declares, since all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, they are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. On the other hand, we note that the scripture declares God has no pleasure in sinners. On the other hand, we find that it states whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In one place, Paul cries, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men. And then in Psalm 5, 4, we read, thou art not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not sojourn with thee. In another place, we hear Peter saying, set your hope fully upon the grace that is coming to you. On the other hand, we are told that all the world is under the wrath of God. On the other hand, we love, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's, it's just, I mean, we could, we could spend all day going from one scripture to another scripture to another scripture, and it seems maddening trying to figure it out, right? So let's just remind ourselves quickly 
I don't want to spend too much time here because I want to definitely finish this thesis, but let's make sure we understand this. So if you, if you want to kind of try to write this out in notes or try to draw a little chart, however you want to do this, let's do this. And it, we cannot deny the Bible seems to have great contradictions, right? Everyone can agree with that, right? Yes? Okay. The Bible seems to have great contradictions. There have been, so that's number one, the Bible seems to have great contradictions. Number two, there have been hundreds of attempts to reconcile these contradictions throughout church history. And how do we know this? How do we know there's been all of these attempts to reconcile? What's the proof that there's been attempts to reconcile these contradictions? How many different denominations are there? Okay? I mean, from, from Greek Orthodox to Roman Catholicism to Lutheranism to, to Presbyterianism. I mean, you go through them all. Methodism, you go through them all. That, that's man's attempts to try to deal with the, the possible contradictions. Okay? All the different theologies and commentaries. That, like, so, so clearly, we have to acknowledge this right here. Now, what blows my mind is even though the Bible clearly appears to contradict itself, and clearly... After 2,000 years of church history and all of the denominations, all the arguing, what's mind-boggling is then people will just come along with very little study, very little time put in, and say, this is the way it is. Well, wait a minute. So all of those people who studied, nobody, they got it all wrong? How do we figure this out? Now, when it comes down to the issues related to law and gospel, here are, the, here are the issues. So number one, we, we, the Bible clearly appears to contradict itself. Clearly, the church history is filled with attempts to try to fix it. So far, so good? All right. Now, number three, if we, if we narrow in to the issue of law and gospel, this becomes one of the, the main contradictions. All right. So number three, the main contradiction is the issue of law and gospel. And what do we mean by this? Okay, when we say the main issue is law and gospel, is because this deals with issues related to salvation, does it not? Right, so sometimes in the Bible, we are said that we are saved in what way? Sometimes it seems to imply that we are saved by works. We're going to be judged according to our works. And it seems to imply that if we don't do this or this or this or this or this, we're not saved. The Bible seems to also, I mean, even in times when Jesus talks to the rich young ruler and he says, what should I do to have eternal life? He's told to do something, yes? Do something. And then and James seems to imply that we are not saved by faith alone, right? Faith alone is dead. That seems to be the, the implication. But all the other place we're told that we are justified by what? By faith. Apart from works. And what happens by faith? We're declared to be righteous. We're not righteous by what we do. We are righteous by a legal declaration. Well, how do we reconcile this? So this is the main contradiction, right? This is the main contradiction that we have to focus. There are contradictions. There have been all these attempts to fix it, but this really, the law and gospel is where all the issues do come from. Now, number four, what are the different approaches to fixing the law and gospel contradiction? Let's go, let's make sure we have these down. What are the, what are the possible solutions that's been handed down in church history to fix this contradiction? 
Right? Everybody ready? What's the first one? The, the first one to try to fix it is a salvation by works. Okay? That, I mean, that, that, we should all know that, right? I mean, oh, where would we find that system? Roman Catholicism. I mean, come on, it's one of the, I mean, just going through church history, that you should get that one, right, right? I mean, it's a works-based system. You got to do this, 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 all right? So a works-based system develops. Now, they may try to claim it's not a works-based system, but it's a works-based system in some way, shape, or form, it, ha- it meets that criteria. Everyone agrees? All right, what's well, the second possible solution to this? You got a works-based system, and the second one flows right from the works-based system, What do you think? You're going to lose your salvation. That wouldn't be a good way to fix the problem, right? Yeah, you're saved by grace. However, you can lose it. All right? So we have a works-based system. And you see why I say that lose your salvation flows from it? Well, if I can lose it, even though they want to claim that I'm saved by grace, if I'm losing it, then that means there's, a work, there's works involved, right? Agreed? Okay. Yeah, I mean, right. I mean, that's. I mean, it's it's got to be a workspace system. It's got to be a workspace system if I can lose it, even though they claim it's not. It's just it makes no sense. All right. So the first solution would be what works. Second solution would be lose your salvation. All right. And I'm not saying that any of these are great solutions. I'm just trying to go through church history. What would be a third solution? to try to reconcile apparent contradiction between law and gospel. Well, that, that's, a, that's a big one, okay? We'll call it lordship, but even before it has the name lordship, it goes this way. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. However, comma, however, or but... If you don't do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, you got to do these things. If you don't do these things, it proves you're not saved. Now, they would argue, hey, no, 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 we're not saying you're saved by works. We're saying you're saved by grace. We're not saying you can lose it. What we're saying is, if you don't do it and you don't have the works, you never had it. But it's not by works. They will, they will scream. It, I'm not saying you're saved by works. Oh, you're not? Well, if I don't have works, what does that mean? You're not saved. But you're not saved by the works. The works prove that you're saved. Which, and, and if you're honest, what would that mean? If my works prove that I'm saved, then what would that mean? Well, th- th- let's state it this way, that I'm saved by an infused righteousness, not an imputed righteousness. Because now you're saying that my justification should produce works. And if it's going to produce it, it can't be an imputed one. It would have to be infused. All right? So there's no way to get around that. There's no way to get it. I, I don't know how you work. You can, you can talk yourself in circles, but that's what you were saying. Not only are you saying, as Sarah said, if I, if I say that works prove that I'm saved, well, then clearly I'm saved by those works. Clearly, that's what you're saying. But even if you want to deny that, you have to at least acknowledge justification changes you. 
And the minute I say justification changes you, then I've removed justification from being what? A legal declaration, and I've turned it into something else. Have I not? Correct? Does everybody understand? So that's an issue, all right? What's, so that, so what, what, let's go through these solutions again. Solution number one, works. Solution number two, lose your salvation. Solution number three, basically we'll call it lordship. We'll call it lordship, all right? And whether someone likes that name or doesn't like that name, the concept manifests itself, all right? Just in our, in our generation, it, lordship has dominated evangelicalism. Even people who say they don't believe in lordship, you listen to them talk and it just comes flowing. It's just the natural default position. Why do you think it's such a natural default position? Why do you think it's a natural default position? We're we're law and works based in our thinking, right? We're like, because immediately if we hear, as soon as someone hears, you're saying that you can be saved and no change. No, 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 no. There has to be a change. And you're like, oh, okay. And then how much change? Who, who gets to judge said change? Oh, you get to judge the change. Do I get to judge your change? Because if you judge mine and I judge yours, I can use a different criteria by which I judge yours. And you can use a different criteria by which you judge Mine, so guess what we can both do? Declare each other not saved. <laughs> do, you either, do you realize how utterly ridiculous that is? They're like, how utterly, like, so it's just amazing how people are like, I have to believe someone can change. I have to believe it. I'm like, well, you, but you want to believe it based on what you think the change should be. Because I can show you that you don't change enough for God. Because what would, be, what would be the proper change to prove you're saved to God? Okay, we have someone, someone is saying what the, uh, the London Baptist Confession would say. Our obedience would have to be personal, perfect, exact, entire, perpetual. And it's amazing we say, no, you, there has to be a change, and that change proves you're saved. But guess what? We're not using God's standard to judge that change. We're using our standard. How does someone not see the ridiculousness of that? Like, okay, you're right. Your change must, proves you're saved. But I'm going to use God's standard. Now, if I use God's standard, show me your change. You're lost. Show me your, you're lost. You're lost. You're lost. Well, that's not fair. Oh, no, no, God demands what? Be ye holy. Okay, right. I, I'm, I'm done, right? Okay. Does your change prove that you're holy as God is holy? The, to me, that, the argument's over. The end. Because I will say, you're right. Change proves you're, you're saved. Okay, let's just go with one. Be holy as God is holy. Well, and then they immediately will do what? But, 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 no, 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 no. It doesn't, no, no. It's just, it's just the direct. Then they'll start making 900 excuses. I just gave you what God demands for change. It is perfection. So what, what's the last solution to this?
Well, the last argument is a proper understanding between law and gospel. It's what we spent 31 hours now working on, right? We're in part, we're in part 32. 31 hours. That the last solution is a proper distinction between law and gospel. Understanding that law will always show us what? That we, are, we fall short, right? We're condemned. And so our only hope is the gospel. Proper distinction of law and gospel is the only hope. But obviously, it's not simple to have the proper distinction between law and gospel, because if we did, guess what? Would there be all these other problems in church history? No. It would be agreement, but there isn't. Okay, so is that a good kind of get you caught up and get everyone on the same page there? Now, at this point in the book, uh, they went to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, which we spent a long time working on. Everybody remember that work on 1 Corinthians 6? If you don't, you need to go back and listen to it. That's all I can say. All right? So... We don't have time to go back through that. Okay. Then it says for, uh, and then I'll, I'll just, con- I'm going to skip that entire paragraph about uh, 1 Corinthians 6 because I don't want to get back into it and review all of that. I'm going to skip down to the next paragraph. For the situation is not that the Old Testament reveals a wrathful, a wrathful God and the New Testament a gracious God and, or that the Old Testament teaches salvation by a person's own works and the New Testament by faith. They're saying, so the, the situation isn't that we just see the Old Testament is giving us one thing and the New Testament a different thing. That's not the way it is. Well, that's not a proper understanding of it. Because both are found in both, right? Wrath, grace is found in both. Works is found in both. Faith is found in both, all right? It says, we find both teachings in the Old as well as in the New Testament. But the moment we learn to know the distinction between the law and the gospel, it is as if it is as if the sun were rising upon the scriptures and we behold all the contents of scripture in the most beautiful harmony. Their argument is once we get a proper understanding of law and gospel, all the contradictions do what? Disappear. Now, I'm not as hopeful as that because I think there's still problems, but I will admit that a proper distinction between law and gospel may be the only hope in making any sense of it. Okay? Look, here, here, here is where, this is where I am, just so that you know. I believe you only have two options. Roman Catholicism or a proper di- distinction between law and gospel. And everything in the middle is just a, a Protestant version of Roman Catholicism. Remember I, I said, I think in the, not the, not the, the message I did on uh, the Lord's Supper, but the one before it, I said we need to have a national coming out day where Christians come out and admit what? We're all Catholics. That did not, was not necessarily well received, but it's, it's just the truth. Because everything in between all of that is just, a, it's just Protestants pretending that we're not Catholic when we're just stating Catholicism. And remember, it was the study of Catholicism that really opened my eyes to going, what are we doing? We're just saying Catholic things. We're just saying Catholic things. Why, why are we being so Catholic? And, and Catholics can see the Catholicism in it. I mean, 
Uh, so we, we, we have to, I, so I, I believe that's your only two options. We see that the law was not revealed to us to put the notion into our heads that we can become righteous by it. Okay, I want to make sure everybody gets this, okay? I want everybody to hear this. The law was not revealed to put into our minds that we become righteous by it. We do not become righteous by the law. How many, do you think Christians would agree with that? I don't think Christians would agree with that. I think most Christians believe that, how do, how do you know you're righteous? I mean, the whole lordship thing. Right? I bring the lordship thing to Sarah. How do, how do I know Sarah is saved? If I, by knowing saved, I'm looking for something, right? What am I, I'm looking for righteousness. So how do I know Sarah is righteous? By what you do. By what you do means by keeping the law. So what makes Sarah righteous? The law. And she has to have a certain level of righteousness to prove that she is saved. So what am I claiming? Keeping of the law makes you righteous. That's, that's insane for anyone to believe that. The law does not make us righteous. It's weird that just saying that feels like I'm committing some great unpardonable sin. Because I'm literally going against the entire Christian world. Now you, I, I, look, I'm not telling you what to believe. I, I'm just going to leave it there. You can struggle with that. Because there's probably a part of you that goes, no, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The law, it's keeping the law. That's how I know I'm righteous. It's keeping the law. That's how I know I'm saved. It's keeping the law. Well, then you're looking to that law as a form of righteousness. And I'm going to tell you, look at, the more you look to the law, what will you find? The more unrighteous you are. But that's my whole point. That's my whole point. Like, if, if someone wants to do the lordship thing, I'll say, oh, I agree with you. Let's just look at the, at the law. Christ's law is to be what? Holy. Because, well, I'm going to say Christ's law. I should just say the New Testament repeats that and the Old Testament states that. Old and New Testament. Well, if I just take that one standard, just take that one standard, right? I've got to keep it. And if I keep it, I prove that I'm righteous. But immediately you're going to realize, can you ever be that righteous? No. So therefore the law can't make you righteous. Because it gives a standard which you cannot keep. Does everyone under... Let me ask this. Everyone understands why the law can't make you righteous. Does everyone understand why? Why can the law not make you righteous? Because the standard which it demands is beyond my ability to perform. And if you say that in salvation you're given the ability to perform it, well, one, what have you just done? If I say that salvation gives you the ability to keep the law, what have I just done? Okay, thank you very much. I just now said that you're saved by an infused righteousness, right? And number two, if I claim 
that you are now given the ability to keep the law, then what should be the, the minimal expectation for all Christians? Perfection. Isn't it amazing that the Lordship people don't say that perfection is the standard? Because they clearly believe we have the ability, we've been given the ability to change and the ability to do it. Well, then why don't they demand perfection? Because guess what they realize? Nobody can be perfect. But if nobody can be perfect, what does that seem to indicate? That we don't have the ability! Oh, man, the whole thing is just maddening to me. The whole thing is just maddening to me. All right, so let's go through that. I want to read that again because that's very important, all right? The law was not revealed to put into your brain, to put into your mind, to put into your head that you can become righteous by it, but to teach us that we are utterly unable to fulfill the law. We cannot fulfill the law. We cannot fulfill the law. Now, this is important. This is important. We cannot, now the book doesn't say this, I'm adding this. We cannot fulfill the law before salvation. And we cannot fulfill the law, now listen to how I'm going to say this, practically after salvation. Okay. Once again, that John may be coming very, that may become now, you're, you've got this down in this church. You may be like, well, yeah, obviously we can't. 99% of the evangelical world believes we can. They preach it over and over and over that we can, that we can, that we can, that we can. It is hard for us to wrap our minds around the fact that we can't. Now, but there is a way as a Christian that we can fulfill the law. And how do we fulfill the law? In Christ. In Christ. I wish I could keep the law, right? I mean, don't you? Because if I could, then what could I be? Perfect. But I can't. And as long as I can't be perfect, then I can't fulfill the law. Does that make sense? All right. When we have learned this, so what two things do we need to learn? Make sure we understand this. We need to realize the law does not make us righteous and that we cannot fulfill the law before salvation or after salvation. So far, so good? When we have learned this, we shall know what a sweet message, what a glorious doctrine the gospel is and shall receive it with exuberant joy. In other words, until we really understand this, the gospel doesn't mean anything. It's not a joyful message. Because think of, think of lordship. Is that, is that really a glorious message? Because the message is this. Christ died for you. Christ saves you. But if you don't do A, B, C, D, E, you're never saved. 
So then the reality is the gospel doesn't save me. The gospel just makes me savable. And how am I made, and what do I have to do to be saved? I got to do things. Now they'll claim that it's God doing it. But do you realize the foolishness of that? If I say God is the one doing it, all these good things, well then what should be the result? Perfection, because God should be able to at least get me to perfection, right? But they're like, no, 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 no. It doesn't have to reach the level of perfection. It's just got to be a change in direction. So God can only get me to a change of direction, and not only that, who gets to judge the change of direction? If I looked at the Pharisees, would I have thought I'd seen a change of direction? You don't think looking at, I think looking at the Pharisees, we'd have all thought a change of direction, right? They're running around trying to keep the law. They cleaned up the outside of the cup. They cleaned up the, they would have been doing all the wonderful things, yes? And the, the tax collector or the publican, what would we have thought about them? We would have said they're not saved. Lordship salvation literally creates the Pharisees and the Sadducees all over again. Because the people we would have declared to be righteous would have been the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Right? Jesus is hanging out with the sinners and they were like, how dare you? These people are ungodly. And Jesus is like, no, the ungodly people are you. He condemned the Pharisees and the Sadducees, did he not? That that blows up the entire lordship salvation system. Because it turns the gospel not into good news. It turns the gospel into a probation program. Hey, you get out of jail, but you're on probation. You're on probation. Right? You're not going to go to hell. But if you don't do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you're going right back in, buddy. You're going right back in. You're going right back. In fact, it would be better for lordship salvation to just to teach you can lose it. Because it's utterly foolish to say, well, you never got it because, well, because lordship salvation has declared people saved who later they have to say they never had it. Because you passed the test maybe on a Monday, but on a Thursday you failed the test. Like, how does that even work? It's subjective nonsense. However, the preacher, however, the preacher must also be careful not to say, now this is, now they're going to, we're advancing this. So we just went into what we, what the, the two things we need to understand, right? The law does not make us righteous and we cannot fulfill it even after salvation. Oh man, you've got to get those two down, right? However, this is important. The preacher must also be careful not to say that the law has been abolished for that is not true. Now, why do I, that, how come they're adding that? They're trying to avoid antinomianism. Right? Antinomianism. But let me make it very clear. Okay? And it was Martin Lloyd-Jones, I believe, who said this. Um, I'd have to, I believe in it's his commentary on Romans, which is just amazing, because Martin Lloyd-Jones would definitely, would, most people would agree with, Okay, even with those within the Lordship would try to agree with Martin Lloyd-Jones. But you know what? He made a, a powerful statement, and it goes something like this. You have never preached the gospel until you've been accused of antinomianism. 
Like you'll know you preach the gospel when someone calls you or shows up and says, you're an antinomian, and you want to just say thank you, thank you, because now I've preached the gospel. Okay, right? Okay, well, well I'm going to get to it, All right? Okay, so, so that's a very important point. So this is what he wants us to understand. We, we cannot say the law has been abolished. We cannot say the law has been abolished. Because that would be true antinomianism, right? The law remains in force. The law remains in force. Right? But we have another message besides that of the law. The law remains in force. And what does the law continue to say? Do this and you will be saved. But we have another message. And the other message is this. God does not say through the law comes righteousness, but through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Romans says to one who trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. Hence, we are on the right way to salvation the moment we are convinced that we are ungodly. The law says what? You are ungodly. The other message is, we are made righteous by faith. That is the distinction between law and gospel. Everybody got that? Through the law comes what? Knowledge of sin. What does not come through the law? Righteousness. Remember we've talked about this, right? Does not come through the law. Go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Remember Romans 10 is where we were when we have taken this now Long detour. Romans chapter 10. Right? Everybody there? Romans chapter 10. Verse 1. Brethren, my heart, heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel that they might be saved. For I bear them record they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Now listen. For they are ignorant of what? God's righteousness, and they're going about to do what? Establish their own righteousness, having not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. What was Israel trying to do? They were trying to establish a righteousness by doing what? What was Israel trying to do? They were trying to establish a righteousness by doing what? By following the law. By following the law. And Paul is telling them, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to those who believe. Why is Christ the end of the law for righteousness to those who believe? Because our righteousness comes by faith, not by keeping the 
law. And Israel tried to establish a righteousness by keeping the law. And was it ever sufficient for God? No, it wasn't. Israel never were able to, to, to keep the law enough to be sufficient for God. Right? Everybody understand that, right? God was, was God ever pleased with Israel's law keeping? No, why? It was never sufficient. It, was, it never can be. It never can be. That's the point I want to make sure. Keeping the law will never be sufficient to please God because to keep the law to please God would demand a perfection in keeping it that nobody can accomplish. That's why when lordship says the way you know you're saved is by what you do, they're wanting me to look to law keeping to prove that I'm saved. But if I look to law keeping to prove that I'm saved, what will be proved by that? That I'm lost. Because what would be required for law keeping to prove that I'm saved? Perfection. Does everybody see, does everybody see how this is working? All right. Romans 10, uh, 2 through 4, their ignorance of the Jew is that they do not recognize the righteousness that is valid in the sight of God. That is their, their lack of understanding. They imagine that they must be zealous in behalf of the law, for as it was most assuredly God's law, how might anyone dare depart from it? If they had paid attention to Paul's preaching, they soon would have observed that Paul allowed the law to remain in force seeing that they would not have become enemies of the gospel and the dreadful darkness which settled upon them like the pell of night would have been dispelled, all right? So what they're saying is if the Jews would have listened, Paul wasn't saying throw out the law. Paul would have just said the law doesn't do what? Make you righteous. What does the law do? It, it condemns you. Right? It condemns you. And wh- what do we look to? What, what's the only help of being made righteous for us? Christ. Therefore, Christ is the end of what? The law for righteousness. Right? So does everybody understand that? If, the, if you look to the law to prove that you are saved, you are looking to a level of righteousness in your life to prove that you're saved. Well, if you're looking to the law to prove it, what does the law demand? Perfection. Would your life ever then show that you're saved? No, it would show that you are lost. Unless you come along and do what? You act like the rich young ruler. I've kept all of this until, uh, from my youth on. No, you haven't. And so all I have to do is just demonstrate that you haven't done so. So what's my go-to? Okay, again, let me just make sure I, 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 you help, I help you understand how the argument works. Okay, you hold to lordship. Okay, you're right. What we do proves we're saved. Thank you so very much. Okay, so let's just start with a simple one. Be holy as God is holy. All right. Now, based on just that one scripture, is anyone saved? No. Do we, do we need to carry, do we need to go further? Right? Don't. Love God. Do you love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul? And so then they say, well, no, 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 no. You don't have to be as holy as God is holy. You just have to be trying to be holy. You don't have to love God. You just have to be trying. So now trying is the standard, not actually doing it. Well, that, there's nothing in Scripture that would say trying is the, is the way to prove anything, right? Did Israel try? 
Yes. And how did God handle their trying? Condemnation. Right? I mean, the rich young ruler, why didn't Jesus say, okay, well, you've tried, you've tried, you've tried. You, you've done pretty good. You've done pretty good. Because what, what, what did Jesus do? Demonstrating that his trying was, a, was just a game. Because as soon as he got put into a place where, okay, oh, you really, you really believe that you love your neighbor as yourself? Go do what? Sell everything and give it to the poor. And then he was like, what, whatever. Wait a minute. I thought you were... Why didn't Jesus just say, hey, your trying is good enough? Because trying is not good enough. Perfection. And so what's your only hope? Christ. Perfection, which comes from Christ. All right? We can go to the next one. So that brings us to which thesis now? Five. Thesis number five. Man, we're making, we're going so fast, we'll be done by tomorrow. Okay? That's a joke. Here we go. This is a long paragraph, right? I know we shortened it greatly. Uh, We shortened it a lot. Um, I'm going to read it from the book, and then I may give you the the summary. All right, everybody ready? Here we go. The first manner of confounding long gospel is the one most easily recognized. It is adopted, for instance, by whom? The first way of confounding law and gospel, it's the easiest one to recognize, and it's adopted by whom? Catholics. Catholics. I'm I'm just repeating what we've talked about when we went over this thesis, okay? So it's adopted by Catholics. There's a number of other groups that's mentioned in the book. I'm not going to go through them, but right now, all right? And what, what is this first manner of confounding the law and gospel. That Christ is represented as a new Moses or a lawgiver and the gospel is turned into a doctrine of uh, meritorious works. Thank you. Well, at the same time, those who teach that the gospel is the message of the free grace of God in Christ are condemned and anathematized as done by the Catholic Church. So everybody understands this. What's the first way, the first and one of the worst ways that law and gospel are confounded? Christ is represented as a new lawgiver. Right? As a new lawgiver. And the gospel is turned into a doctrine of meritorious works. Everybody understand this? Is very, very, very important. Let me, let me explain how Roman Catholics would handle, say, Romans or some of the passages about being saved by grace apart from works. The, how did, oh, Sarah may, should know this. When the Catholic Church says, we are not saved by works, what do they mean by that? Sarah, if you remember or if you know. Putting you on the spot. Do what? They're, they would say we're not saved by works. Right. Well, how can they say we're not saved by works? The Old Testament law. But Christ has given us a new law. So we are not saved by keeping the Old Testament law. 
Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm saying we've covered this like a zillion times, okay? All right, and, 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 if, and remember, early on in Romans, we talked about this because I brought in a Roman Catholic commentary, right? The Roman, read a Roman Catholic commentary on Romans. You really should. It is eye-opening. It's life-changing, okay? You'll say, whoa, okay, because, because you'll read it and you'll be like, wait, they're saying we are not saved by works. They're agreeing with Paul. Amen. Until you realize that they separate the Old Testament law from what they would say is the New Testament law given to us by the new Moses. And the new Moses is none other than Jesus. He's the new lawgiver. He gives a new law. And where's that new law found? Well, you, you, where does it start? It's the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount. And you know my problems with the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Man, oh, do I have issues with that, that sermon, okay? All right, so let's make sure we get to We're going to at least get started on this one. Oh, we're going to run out of time and run out of time because this one is good stuff, okay? This one, this one is fun, all right? Because this gets right us into the heart of, we're going we're to go to the Council of Trent. Oh, I should have pulled up the Council of Trent and found the decree. Okay, um, I'm, I'm, we may have to do that later. All right, but here we go. So the first manner of confounding law and gospel is the one that is easy to recognize. Everyone should get this one. And it is this, okay? And this is the one adopted by uh, Roman Catholicism and other people, all right? It is that Christ is now represented as a new Moses and lawgiver, and the gospel is turned into a doctrine of meritorious works. Everybody understand what meritorious works means? Good works. You earn, in a sense, merit. You earn something by the works that you do. All right? And at the same time, those who teach that the gospel is the message of free grace is condemned and anathematized. Well, I will argue Catholics condemn anyone who preaches free grace and evangelicals condemn anyone who preaches free grace because they've adopted their own version of Roman Catholicism and it's called Lordship Salvation. They do the exact same thing. And how do you know you're saved? You keep the law. And guess where they may go to to prove that you're saved? Sermon on the Mount. That proves you're saved. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, what should you do? What does Jesus say? I want, I want everyone to find it. I want ever find it in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, Be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I've had y'all look this up now multiple times. At some point, y'all are just going to memorize where it is so that y'all don't have to look every time. He says, be perfect. I think the way the King James says it. Don't know how the NIV reads. Who can find it first? Who can find it first? Hey, look in the Spreaker app. Okay, nobody's typed it out. Who can find it first? We, we have to have this memorized. We have to have this one memorized. If you need a, uh, okay. 
Matthew 5, 48. Okay, someone read it for me. Be perfect as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. How's the NIV uh, reads? Now let me give you a clue. If you're reading your Bible and a verse tells you to be perfect as God is perfect, you may want to set your Bible down and go walk around your house for a couple of hours and weep and going, well, I guess I'm going to hell. Agreed? Now, the minute I see that, 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 that should cause me some problems, should it not? What should I do? I should be like, well, wait a minute. How do I interpret this sermon? And how do most preachers preach the sermon? This proves if you are saved. If you are saved, you will live. Well, if I'm going to live like the Sermon on the Mount, what's the key? I got to be perfect. And why, why would Jesus throw in the perfection concept in this sermon? Because what does he do in the sermon? He takes the law of Moses, right, which may focus on the external, and he shows you to truly keep it, you have to keep it internally, which should lead everyone to total and complete despair. Amen? All right, everybody got that? All right, now, I'm going to see if we can at least get this paragraph in. The decrees of the Council of Trent speak of the gospel as containing the doctrines of salvation. Does that not sound great? Does that sound good? The Council of Trent says that the gospels contain the doctrine of salvation. Everyone should say what? Amen. However, they add immediately that the gospel prescribes morals. Uh oh. That is the interpretation they put on the intention of Christ when he said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. They evidently do not intend to accept the gospel in the true sense of the word. In the meantime, in which they understand it, it is, it is as best a law such as Moses proclaimed. They turn it into a law that we have to keep. And it's the law from whom? Christ. Now, we'll have to stop there. We can't go more into this. All right? Any questions? All right, we'll stop. All right. Well, God, we come before you this morning. We are approaching very, very serious and very important doctrinal distinctions. Lord, I forgive us for all of the times we've not made these distinctions. And Lord, I just, I pray that we stay committed uh, to trying to figure this out and understand it to the best of our ability. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said,